Hello everyone, you're listening to America Meditating Radio. We collect wisdom, inspire each other, and empower hearts on demand 24-7. I'm Sister Jenna, host of the syndicated America Meditating Radio. Join us as we talk one-on-one with leading experts who answer life's most compelling questions. Because in a world of uncertainty, we need answers right here, right now. America Meditating Radio, a show for everyone to learn more about this amazing thing called life. Hi everyone, welcome to America Meditating Radio and The Next Normal. I've been liking our collaboration between the Brahma Kumaris Meditation Museum's Next Normal online program and the marriage it has had with America Meditating, knowing that I'm the host of both shows. (laughs) Don't you love what a pandemic can do to you? You just have to expand your heart, I tell you. This is the particular age and time that we're being invited to be the best of ourselves. And as we thrive to become the best of ourselves, there are certain shadows that we can bump into. Racism has definitely been a very big one that we've grappled with in this country and maybe all around the world in their own way. And the question is, what is the solution? I mean, how do we practice looking at the other person as a soul and seeing the divinity in them? Jeez, come on, God didn't make any mistakes. And I think the only mistake that we might have made is that we have turned our attention away from the divine. And then that breeds hate, it it breeds separation, it breeds jealousy, comparison, competition, so much. My wonderful friend from World Unity connected me with our special guest today, Milagros Phillips. She's a keynote speaker, TEDx presenter, author, and certified coach. She designs strategic learning programs for organizations seeking to enhance their diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives through race literacy. For more than 35 years, Milagros has consulted, designed, and facilitated programs across many industries. She's an artist. She's a Reiki master, a teacher, a sound therapist, a teacher of A Course in Miracles, and the creator of Race Demystified a compassionate approach to healing from racial conditioning. Her latest book is titled Cracking the Healer's Code, a prescription to healing racism and finding wholeness. Milagros is a recipient of the 2021 New Thought Walden Award for Interfaith Intercultural Understanding. It gives me great pleasure to welcome Milagros Phillips to America Meditating and Next Normal. ¿Cómo estás? Gracias. <laughs> So good oh, to have good you. Good morning. Thank you so I am much good. Thank you for inviting me. I'm so excited to be here with you today. Here we good. are. Good. <laughs> I'm glad to have you. You know, I understand that you had an early awakening into the realities of what's it called, like colorism or all of this thing based on society and race and the caste system as a young girl growing up in the Dominican Republic. What were your experiences that led to that awakening? Yeah. One of my favorite things as a child was singing to myself and dancing. (laughs) So I used to spend hours singing and dancing on the front porch of our home. And I remember I was about four years old. And just to give you kind of a little bit of background, 
we were the darkest skinned people in cul-de-sacs in our area. And so the neighbor from across the street came over one day because she used to see me dancing on the porch all the time. And she was like, so what do you want to be when you grow up? And I said, I want to be a ballerina. And she said to me, well, you can't be a ballerina because there are no black ballerinas. And immediately I said, yes, there are. And mind you, I'm just four years old. So she said, on Sunday when the ballet comes on, why don't you look and see if you see anyone who looks like you? Ballet used to come on every Sunday in the Dominican Republic because we were living under a dictatorship. His name was Trujillo. And he was a very cultured man. Music and arts were very important in the Dominican Republic at that time. And of course, I looked and she was right. There wasn't anyone who looked like me. So I said, well, I'll be a singer then. It's so interesting because I was unpacking something at age 37 that happened to me when I was seven years old in Catholic school. I was still in the Dominican Republic. And the nuns used to put on this big exhibition every year. And it was an all-girls school. So a lot of what was being taught were things like sewing and embroidery and things like that. And the young people would produce the most beautiful things. So there would be this exhibit and a play every year, and the whole town would turn out to see this. And I used to put on plays in my backyard. So I told one of the older children that I'm going to try out for the play. And she said to me, well, you can't because all of the major parts are taken and the only parts that are left are parts for angels. And everyone knows there are no black angels. And it was so interesting to me when I unpacked that 30 years later, along with the you can't be a ballerina. And what I realized was that in that moment, I became aware of the thought that came to me when that happened. And that was, oh, even God doesn't love little black children. It was so powerful. And then as I began to write an essay about something that impacted my life, and that's sort of what came to the forefront, right? And when I started writing and I started unpacking, I realized that up till then, my entire life being very, very good, to the point that if I couldn't be good at something the very first time that I tried it, I wouldn't even try it. Because I had to be perfect. And I realized that I had to be perfect because I had a plan. That little seven-year-old decided that day that God was a bigot. And being a Catholic child, you're taught that everything happens in heaven, right? Like your entire trajectory of life is so you can get into heaven. And so my trajectory of life was I was going to be really, really good because I was going to get into heaven and I was going to kick God out of heaven because God was a bigot. And he didn't take care of the children. And I would. So I had created this little coup in my head. Sure, <laughs> sure. Early as but then why wouldn't you? I mean, everyone's <laughs> telling you that because of the color of the skin, you can't be a ballerina, you can't be an angel. And they're only teaching you what they have been taught. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. like, oh, God doesn't know how to do a good job. <laughs> well, it's nice. <laughs> well, it's good that you didn't go up there to heaven to kick God out, but you stayed down here to become a race, lead, a race healer. 
What was it that led you, though, to ultimately become that thought leader on the subject of race diversity? Was it all those many years from four years old, the ballerina story, seven, the acting that you can't be an angel? Was there something else that started to percolate in your consciousness that says, you know what, I'm going to become a race healer? Well, it was all of it. So here's the interesting thing. I really believe that when we have a calling, we come in prepared for that calling. And the rest of our life is learning how to be the calling. So all of those experiences, and and I just mentioned too, you know, there were tons of experiences throughout my life, which were very painful. Once I actually took on the mantle of doing this work, I realized, oh, I was just being trained. So that I would understand internally what that feels like, looks like, tastes like, sounds like, so that I would seek healing and wholeness in spite of that. But what really started this journey of doing healing work, the day that Dr. King was killed, my mother had gone to the grocery store and my father and I were watching something on television and they stopped everything. And the news came on and said that Dr. King had been killed. First, they said he had been shot. And then we were sort of waiting. And then they said he passed away. And when that second bit of news came, not only was I shocked, it made me sick to my stomach. And I excused myself and I went to the bathroom to cry. I just sobbed. And I didn't want my father to hear me cry. And he kept knocking on the door going, are you okay in there? You know, because I was in there a long time. And at some point, I remember hearing a voice that said, you're to continue the work. I didn't know what that meant. I'm 13 years old. We had only been in the country for three years. And I'm hearing this. And now I'm sobbing even harder because this is scary. Somebody just got killed for doing this work. And what I internalized in that moment is I began to, again, as an adult doing my healing work, unpacking the trauma of that and what that meant to me as a child, as a black child, as a child that had come from another country where I had already faced a lot of these things. And now here I was in a country where they killed people for being black. Over there, as far as I could tell, you just got insulted. You know what I mean? Over here, they kill you for that. And so I avoided race work all my life, pretty much most of my life. There was no way I was ever going to do race work because already I'm experiencing it. Why would I also want to teach about it or do work with it in any way? Because that just would enhance and it would keep me trapped in that energy field, which was so painful. Yes. I entered this work through personal growth and healing. I knew something was off and it wasn't from the things that I thought I needed to heal from. But that this was a very specific thing. That's where, you know, I was doing Reiki and trained to be an opera singer when I was a child. So sound therapy came natural to me and, you know, like all of these things. And eventually I said yes to the work. But I was prepared to say yes to the work before I started doing the work, if that makes sense. Sure. It was kind of like a calling, like you said, you know, it was predestined for you to step into that part. And that was one of the things I thought about when I saw your TED Talk, that this is not only when you become a race healer and you're trying to advocate and educate 
individuals and how we can embrace each other more, but it's also even our own healing of believing that we're less than. And that has to actually take place in all races, because to even be the race that imposes some brainwashing idea of superiority over another race, when deep inside you're scared as hell, that needs healing too. You know, so the healing work has to happen on all fronts. In your work, you also talk about race literacy. Could you explain what that means and how our race literacy changed the conversation on race? Sure, yeah. There's a lot that we don't know about race, that we never learned, that no one taught us, and we certainly don't teach it in school. In spite of what people are talking about on the news, we're not teaching any of this history in school. So race literacy is the conscious awareness of the history of race, how race is part of a caste system, how we are all acculturated into that racial caste, and the impact of all of the above on our current events and individual lives. So when people become race literate, when they start to learn that history that we were never taught, it changes the way they view race. It changes how they see themselves within the context of what they have learned. And it helps to diminish a lot of the myths that people have created their lives around. And so it really helps people to get grounded it helps people to become more compassionate, to see each other as members of one human family, as opposed to those people over there and the segregation, not just the external segregation, but the internal segregation. To live this and stay in this level of separation, you have to segregate inside, which means your heart and your head are in two different places. And so what this work does is it brings people back to themselves so that they can remember the pieces of themselves, their ancestry, and where they came from. We all have ancestry. And people start to look at the fact that their ancestors came to this country unless they were kidnapped and brought in for free labor, which you know a lot of white people were. And people don't realize that. The first enslaved people in this country were actually white Europeans that were brought by other white Europeans because that was a system that they had there and it was a natural system for them for a long time. What do you think made it so difficult for the African race to have rised up from that? Because, you know, you look at the Holocaust with the Judaic culture and as you're very clearly stating, there were Caucasians who were brought over for free labor who were also slaves. Is it just because of the color of their skin they were able to become invisible and not recognize the status of the culture? But then when you were black, everybody is like, oh, then you must be a slave. Exactly. And there were free black people in this country. But if they cross over the wrong line, they would be snapped and turned back. And they went to the south. Yeah. So what are some of the things that are impacted by race? Oh, my gosh. Everything from hiring, mentoring, promotions, firing, people's salaries are impacted by race. Our education system, medical system, our companies and organizations, even religion is impacted by race. And so everything has been colored by this myth. There are no genetic markers differentiating one human group from another human group. And we live with the reality that the myth has created. 
and hundreds of years of conditioning that have led to that. I always remind people that there isn't anyone alive who is responsible for starting this stuff. But because it's impacted all of us, regardless of the color of our skin, because people often think that race only impacts people of color. Race impacts white people as well. You can't have a conversation about a topic that's impacting you, you know? And so it impacts all of us, which is why I always remind people that we all need healing. I remember I held an event at the Meditation Museum a while back, and there were some Caucasians that were in the room, and they were good friends. And for the first time, I kind of asked them, how do you feel as a Caucasian knowing what has happened to black people? And it just opened up this completely different safety to have this conversation and really basically to talk truthfully, like, what do you really feel? So sometimes it's difficult to have open and honest conversations on the topic of race. What is it that really touches the soul and makes it really feel hard? Is it because there's just way too much truth to it? A lot of it is not just that there's way too much truth, but it's too much truth that's been hidden from people. And it's difficult truth that's been hidden from people. So we, as an international body, as a human family, are under international laws founded in this stuff that were put together in the 1400s and continue to affect us. We don't always trace things. Like a lot of my work is giving people context. Like this isn't just something that showed up a couple hundred years ago. Here's the foundation. Racism is institutional, systemic, internalized, and interpersonal. So it's institutional because it's been made into law. It's systemic because we set up systems to support those laws. It's internalized because it lives in the system. And it's interpersonal. It becomes personal, which is why people get so upset when you mention something about race. People get triggered, right? And it's interpersonal because it shows up when we interact with one another around the particular subject. And we have all internalized the same system, but we've internalized it differently based on where we fall within the caste system. So the white people have internalized it as supremacy. Let's just unpack that for a moment because some people think it's, oh, it's about those people over there. Supremacy comes from the word superior, and originally it comes from a French word, but it really goes back to the rights of kings, belief that one human being was superior to other human beings and therefore could rule them. So that's where that comes from. So the white community have internalized it, not necessarily consciously, but sometimes consciously, more often than not unconsciously, because it lives in the system. So they've internalized it as supremacy, which is superior over or greater than. Black people and people of color have internalized it as colonization. And when I say colonization, I'm talking about colonization of the land, the waterways, the people, and the people's possessions, as well as the possession within the waterways and the land, okay? Because there are laws around that. And so... We have internalized it as uh, colonization and enslavement. And you see that 
permeating throughout. You see that people of color, more often than not, will get paid less, that they're expected to do what are called menial jobs, that they have to prove themselves to get a position where a white person doesn't have to prove themselves, they can just get that same position. And we see this over and over and over again. We have a lot of statistics that show all of those things. But ultimately, it's the work of the heart. We want to solve racism in our heads. That's just not going to happen. We have a lot of heady information about race, and it hasn't done the job. The job really needs to happen in the heart. And you can't legislate people's hearts, right? We have commandments as well as written laws that say that you shouldn't murder, and yet people kill other human beings, right? What keeps you from doing that isn't necessarily a change of mind, although that helps. It's where's your heart in connection to that other human being? That's what keeps you from doing that. And so the work of healing racism is the work of the heart. It's about greater compassion. It's about how we are here to experience love and joy and learn from one another. You know, and that doesn't happen in civilization. And, you know, one of the things, Milagros, that I've observed as well on my journey, being half-breed, half-Indian, half-black, and even if you go into my Indian tribe, they're like, oh, you're mixed? Oh, you know, and there are limitations. We're carrying a lot of information or experiences or indoctrinations that we haven't ourselves investigated with our own hearts. Really, does this mean that if they're black or mixed or rich or poor, I'm not supposed to love them. You know, I think what you are sharing is really vital, that it really is a job of the heart where the compassion is concerned. Because the shadows and the trauma and the hurt is so deep, it broke the heart in pieces. And so in order for us to really move forward, we're going to have to demystify racism. And that's one of the compassionate approaches that you've come up with, the race demystified. How does this approach help to foster conversations that can lead towards some kind of a respectocracy between man and move them forward? Because one is racism, but the other is the soul. The soul just has its own prejudices about its own self. And so it's like, what are you going to do? They're going to definitely express that on one another, and they're going to find their tribes to support that. But what do you think would be needed? You do have this program called Race Demystified. How do we access, does this program help to access the consciousness of a person so that that shift can occur? Yeah, that program is now 20 years old. And the same thing that people were saying 20 years ago, they're saying today about that program. They never see race the same way again. Because for me, the healing needs to happen in mind, body, spirit, and emotions. We need to be able to treat the whole being because the whole being has been wounded by this. And so this program, what it does is it takes people through a process. The first day, what we do is we cover history, some of the lesser known history, some of the things that people may have forgotten, like for instance, People don't often talk about what happened to the Irish when they first started to arrive in the continental USA or the Italians and what happened to them 
you know, like we talk about all these various groups that have come to this country, mostly escaping difficult situations in their own land. And so we cover all of that so that everyone can own their ancestral piece of the puzzle and how that has and may be continuing to affect them if they don't become conscious. The second day, we cover healing. And I take people through this 13-layer healing process, which I outline in the book as well, that really gives people the opportunity to look at themselves and how all of this has impacted them, regardless of the color of their skin. And then looking at how do we reclaim wholeness? Because wholeness is still there. The thing about that is sometimes in spiritual communities, we want to avoid the shadow and we just want to do the love and light thing, you know? And my thing with that is that fine for a while, but ultimately we have to face our past so that we can understand what caused what is happening in the present. And by understanding the past, we can keep ourselves from repeating it. And it gives us the freedom to create a new future. And so for me, race demystified is the work of liberation, is the work of internal liberation, so that when you show up in the world, and if you're, let's say, someone who's working for peace, that you're carrying that as an energy field, so that when you enter that conversation, you are the peace. You become that which you're seeking. And a lot of this hidden history and all of this stuff has covered over the truth of who we are. Human beings are extraordinary and we're pure love, you know. But when you separate people and you tell this group that you're better than this group, what it does is takes you outside of our true nature, which is love and connection. And so what this program seeks to do is to bring people to a place where they can become self-liberating. It isn't about me liberating them. I can't do that. <laughs> I have enough trouble doing it for myself, you know. But what I can do is share information that leads to transformation, that allows people to become sovereign over their lives and to begin to see other people sovereign over their lives. And my goal with this work is let's do as much of it as we can. Let's clear the field as much as we can so we don't leave a loaded field for yet another generation. Beautiful. Great message. You know, it's a big job. And I think what you have been contributing over 20 years and more is definitely making an impact. You've seen a lot of changes. Yes, social media and us having smartphones gives us insight to how deep the wounds have been that certain things have been taking place for a long time without us knowing, such as brutality with some police officers, for example, such as just neighborhoods not being taken care of because, you know, leaders have turned their backs on those neighborhoods. And we're beginning to see people rise up Milagros, everybody, black and white. I was in Manhattan the other day, and I went to this Freedom Park, I think it's called, and there was the installation of George Floyd, former congressman that passed, John Lewis, and Breonna Taylor. And as I walked around those images and I looked up at them, I was like, wow, this is how we should all look up on each other. We should look up at each other, not down. 
And I love that you've been teaching us and showing us how to do that. So leave us with a website where we can find more information about you and your work. And it has been an absolute delight having you on air today. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, you can find me at milagrosphillips.com. So it's my name, .com. And please look at that book, The Cracking the Healer's Code, A Prescription for Healing Racism and Finding Wholeness. I think that you will find things in there that will help you to transform the way that you view race. Thank you so so much, Sister Jenna, for having me here with you. (laughs) It was great. We'll do part two on the book because I think it will be nice for us to maybe explore some of the aspects in the book in how we can crack the code on racism. So thank you so very much. Thank you. Mm -hmm. All right, everyone. So here we've got some more juicy information for the transformation, as Milagros had shared. It's okay we can mess up. We've all been ignorant. I mean, whether it's towards a race, towards your spouse, towards your kid, towards your in-law, that energy is recorded in the soul where we think we are better than everyone else. And what if we are just all good? I was thinking as Milagros was talking what it would be like to fill out a form that doesn't ask you what your race is. It'll be what an interesting response. I know the census and governments all need to disseminate funds so that communities can thrive. But what if all communities have the capacity to thrive? Such a nice world, huh? Yeah, there's going to be the shadow. The shadow is going to travel with us in some shape or form. That body consciousness is going to keep feeding itself and taking us further into the abyss of ignorance. But that's not why we're here. We're here to love each other the same. And we're here to gain such power within ourselves that we don't let anyone take away our love. We don't give permission to somebody to declare that's why I'm unhappy. We are here to stand in our own truth and our own power. So let's crack that code of how to be able to stand into our power of divinity and dignity and love and compassion and service. This is the time. This is the most pivotal watershed moment of our entire existence. Take advantage of it. Thank you so much for joining us today. You be well. And remember, no one can take away your happiness unless you give them permission. Take care. I'll see you again really, really soon. Be well. I'm Sister Jenna. You've been listening to America Meditating Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Did you enjoy that conversation? Because you can also listen to it on Spotify or on iTunes 24-7, anytime, anywhere. I do trust we all have inner power to become our very best. When we listen with curiosity to learn more, we grow. So thanks so much for tuning in, and do be easy on yourself. Take care.